Please do turn to the in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We'll begin in the last couple of verses of Genesis chapter 26. And we will continue through chapter 28, verse 9. Looking at this episode in the history of God and in the life of Isaac and his family. That may bring to mind for many of us many dysfunctional families that maybe we have seen or have been a part of. Let us turn and consider God's word, beginning in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. <clears throat> Excuse me. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, But but my brother Esau is a hairy man, and, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say, go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. She prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, who is it? Jacob said to the father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac said to his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And he brought him some wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. 
So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I bless him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered, Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heavens above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan, Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. 
and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we look at these verses and we just wonder, how do, you, how do you choose people like this? And then if we think long enough and deeply enough, we wonder, how do you choose people like us? Lord, show us ourselves in these verses, but more importantly, show us you. Show us your work on our behalf. Show us your faithfulness in the midst of a faithless people. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I remember when I was a younger child, the word dysfunctional became part of the vocabulary of our world. We heard about dysfunctional families and dysfunctional companies and dysfunctional this and dysfunctional that. In fact, the president just tweeted the word dysfunctional in relationship to something earlier this week. Um, today, we are going to look at a dysfunctional family, probably the textbook uh, uh, a textbook case of what it means to be a dysfunctional family, but we're also going to see that God works through dysfunction. God works through the failures of his people. Just a quick recap of the story here. Uh, to go back to um, Genesis chapter 25, remember Jacob and Esau had been born. It had been prophesied to Rebekah that the older would serve the younger, that the younger would be blessed. This idea of primogenitor where the older son has all the blessing and all the authority and all the power in the family is reversed by God to where the younger son is going to be blessed. And in today's passage, we're going to see that the family of Isaac tries to take things into their own hands in order to, on one side of the family, to make sure that prophecy comes true and on the other side of the family to subvert or to thwart that prophecy Esau was 40 years old when he got married, the same age his father was when he met Rebekah. Uh, but he marries two Canaanite women, and these Canaanite women become thorns in the sides of Esau's parents. Now Esau should have known that this was not something that was to be done. He should have heard the stories of Abraham whenever Abraham went to all the trouble to find Rebekah from the people of God, from the people who knew who the God of Abraham was. And so Esau should have known, but these women become a source of difficulty for his parents. That actually comes into play later when, when Esau sees Jacob obey Isaac and Rebekah to make that 450 to 500 mile trek to, um, to Paddan Aran to, to get a wife from the family of Rebekah. Um, Esau sees how much this pleases his parents, and so he adds to his harem, if you will, by going after a, father, a daughter of Ishmael, who is a descendant of Abraham. But remember, we have two lines in the book of Genesis. We have the seed of the woman that we're told about in Genesis chapter 3 that will bring redemption, that will set things right and bring reconciliation with God. And we have the seed of the serpent that is initially shown us in uh, Seth and Abel versus Cain, Cain being the seed of the serpent. But now that we are mainly dealing with the family of Abraham, we see this seed of the woman play out in Jacob. We've been told Jacob will be the 
the more important son, the older son Esau, will serve the younger. God has chosen the line of Jacob and has rejected the line of Esau. And so we see this interplay between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman work out through Esau as the seed of the serpent and Jacob as the seed of the woman. And so Esau goes to Ishmael. He does not go to the line where the seed of the woman comes from. He goes to the line of Ishmael to choose a wife trying to regain the favor of his family and his parents. Isaac is old. Now, he's probably close. He is close to 100 years old when his children are born. He dies at the age of 180. We'll be told here in a few chapters. And so somewhere between the age of 100 and the age of 180, um, he is very old. His eyes were weak so that he could no longer see. Um, and uh, he calls for Esau. He calls for Esau so that he can give him the blessing. And Rebecca overhears this. She puts forth a scheme by where she's going to dress Jacob up as Esau. She's going to fix the food uh, using goats instead of wild game uh, that Isaac wants. And she is going to help Jacob trick Isaac into giving him the blessing. And amazingly enough, it works. All five senses are involved here in the account of Isaac. He wants tasty food. He cannot see who it is that's in his presence bringing him the tasty food. He reaches up to feel the hands and the neck of Jacob to find out that it is what he who he thinks to be Esau. We've done taste, we've done smell, we've done touch. Um, hearing, he hears the voice of Jacob and yet is allowed to be, allows himself to be tricked into it being Esau. And of course, we know that he is blind. His sight does not work. Hearing in the Old Testament is very important. This is something that is a clue to us of a failing of, of Isaac that we'll look at here in a few minutes. Hearing is the source of truth in the Old Testament. God proclaims his truth through his word. We hear God's truth proclaimed to us. We hear God speak to us through the Holy Scriptures. And what does Isaac do? He ignores what he hears. He hears the voice of Jacob, but he ignores it because Jacob has brought him food that he likes. He smells like Esau and he feels like Esau. Isaac allows his senses to overrule what he knows to be true. Isaac allows his pursuit of pleasure to overrule what he knows to be true. So Jacob comes to him. He brings him the food. He tricks him into think, tricks Isaac into thinking that Jacob is actually Esau. And Isaac gives him the blessing that belongs in Isaac's mind to Esau, but in God's mind does belong to Jacob. Esau comes in and the second that, uh, that, Isaac, or that Jacob walks out of the area, out of the tent, Esau comes in and says, Father, I brought you the food you want. Now give me my blessing. And Isaac goes, who are you? It's, it's like he can't believe that he's been tricked. He can't believe that Jacob would do something so, so bold and sinful against his own father. And he says, who are you? Why are you? I think at this point, Isaac knows. But he's just so shocked at what has happened to him, how he was tricked. Esau says, I am your older son, Esau. I have brought all these things to you. I have brought you the food. I have found the, the game that you wanted. And Isaac says, I've already given your blessing to your brother. 
He tricked me. And Jacob, or Esau takes Jacob's name, which means he deceives. And Esau says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? And he says, he deceived me two times, which really is a lie. Because how did Esau lose his birthright? He swore to Jacob that if you give me a bowl of stew, I will give you my birthright. There was no deception there. He went into that knowing exactly what he was doing. I'm hungry, I'm famished, I want food, and everything that my father owns right now is worthless to me. Give me food. Like father, like son. Esau is willing to give up everything to fill his belly. He's willing to give up the, the, the blessings, the, the material uh, blessings of his father for a bowl of stew. So Isaac gives uh, Esau this anti-blessing. He says, your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches and from the dew of heaven above. That's an echo of what he has blessed Jacob with. He says, Jacob um, is going to get the earth's riches, the abundance of grain, the abundance of new wine. He tells Esau, you will not get those things. You will live very far away from them. He tells Jacob, may the nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. He tells Esau, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. And then he caveats it with this. He says, when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. During the time of David, actually up until the time of David, the nation of Israel, once it formed, when it left Egypt, ruled the nation of Edom, which was the descendants of Esau. But very soon after Solomon died and the nation was split, the nation of Edom became a thorn in the side of the Israelites. They did exert power and authority and control over the Israelites. And so this anti-blessing that Isaac gives to Esau does come to pass. So Esau consoles himself with something. He consoles himself with the fact that his father will be dying soon and he will kill Jacob. He will get his revenge. And as we're told here that he held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father gave him. Rebekah is told that this is Esau's plan. And so she concocts another scheme that says, you know, these, these Hittite women are thorns in my side. Let me send Jacob away. To find a wife from my own family. She tells Jacob, I'm going to have your father send you away. And then once I will call you to come back in a very little while. Uh, once things calm down here. Interestingly enough, Jacob is gone for over 20 years. Rebecca never has a chance to call Jacob back. Do you know why? Because she dies while he's gone. She dies really almost unannounced in the scriptures. She's given no memorial in the scriptures except at the end of the book of Genesis when we are told that she is buried with Isaac in the cave of Machpelah. Rebekah goes on off into obscurity after this story. Isaac does the one right thing that he does in the passage. He calls Jacob to himself and he actually blesses him. Not because he was deceived, not because he... Uh, was uh, thinking Esau was standing before him, but he knows that it is Jacob there before him and he takes the blessing that he gave him before and he ties it in with the blessing, the promises that God had given to Abraham. May he make you fruitful and increase in numbers until you become a large community. 
May he give you the blessings given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. And then he sent him away to Paddan Aram uh, to meet his, his uncle Laban and to find a wife. As we consider this story, I want us to look at the faithlessness and failures of the family of Isaac. First with Esau, we begin with what we've talked about a little bit already. Esau takes uh, wives from the Canaanites instead of the people of his family. You know, if we do the math here, if we lay out the timeline, we'll find that uh, Abraham was about, or Jacob and Esau were about 15 years old when Abraham died. I'm sure Abraham would have told his sons the story, or his grandsons, the story of how he found a wife for, his, for their father, for Isaac. And he would have told them the importance of finding the right wife for themselves. A, a wife from a people who knew who the Lord of Abraham was, who Yahweh was. We're reminded of the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul tells the Corinthians, don't be unequally yoked. Um, that's, that's, that's not a call to racial purity. It's a call to spiritual purity. It's a call for us to understand that when we go into marriage, we need to marry somebody who loves God as much as we do, or hopefully more than we do. More often than not, when people go into what's jokingly called an evangelistic marriage, it's a marriage where one spouse believes but the other doesn't, it's usually not a happy ending. Usually what happens instead of the believing spouse drawing the unbelieving spouse into belief and into love for Christ, into an understanding of their sins and their need of a Savior, it's usually the opposite thing. The unbelieving spouse drags the believing spouse away from the church, away from love for God. And so Esau should have known better than to take a Canaanite wife. Esau then goes along with Isaac's plan to bless him instead of Jacob. I doubt very seriously with Isaac loving Esau more and Rebekah loving Jacob more that Esau did not know the prophecy. I'm sure at some point, if Jacob knew the prophecy, which he probably did, he probably rubbed it in his older brother's face. That God has said, I am going to be your ruler. Younger brothers, don't you normally do that? Don't you, anytime you can get a little bit of power over your older brother, don't you, don't you just kind of rub it in a little bit? Why don't you just kind of make sure you take, uh, take full advantage of that power? Even if it was given to him in a hurtful way, Esau should have known God's plan to bless Jacob instead of him. Esau lies about the incident with his birthright. We've, also, we've already covered that. Esau shows a false repentance. He wails, he weeps, he cries, but not because he's a faithless sinner, but because he didn't get all the goodies. He didn't get the blessing of his father. And Esau holds a grudge and seeks the life of his brother. Secondly, what are Jacob's failures in this? Well, number one, he schemes with his mother. Now, we might be tricked into thinking that Jacob doesn't want to do this when he says, well, you know, what happens if I get caught? Won't I be cursed? He didn't say, Mom, we shouldn't do this. He said, what happens if I get caught? This isn't wrong unless I get caught, right, Mom? And Mom says, don't worry about it. I'll take any heat for you if you get caught. How else does Jacob fail? Well, he tricks his father. 
He lies to his father. He, he goes in there. He says, I am Esau. Bless me like you have promised to do. And then his biggest failure is that he blasphemes in the midst of this trick. What does Isaac say? He says, how are you back from your hunt so quickly? Jacob says, the Lord, your God, gave me success. If it's bad to lie, how much worse is it to invoke God's name as grounds for that lie? How much worse is it to say, you know what, this lie is going to succeed because God wants it to. So Esau fails, Jacob fails. How about Rebekah? Well, she starts out, we learn in chapter 25, she shows favoritism to, to Jacob. There's this temptation as parents sometimes to, to, to kind of show favoritism to one child over another. But we can't do that. that. That's not fair to the children. It's not fair to us. And so we have to watch ourselves. She's eavesdropping on her husband in his conversations with, I, with Esau. And she schemes against Isaac. She hatches this plan. She puts it in motion. She fixes the food that tastes just like Isaac wants it. And she pushes her son Jacob further and further into his difficulty. But Isaac here may be the worst of the sinners. First off, he shows favoritism to Esau. Secondly, he ignores God's decree that the younger will receive the blessing. Remember, Rebecca was so, having such a difficult pregnancy. Remember, we talked about that idea of the, the word in there that they jostled in her womb. They were crushing and beating and trying to destroy one another in the womb. And as a husband, he should have been concerned for his wife. And at, the, at that point of the story, he is portrayed as a good husband. And she went to inquire of the Lord. And I'm sure Isaac, as a good husband, when she came back, would have gone, what did God tell you? And she would have told him exactly what God said. And Isaac, after the kids are born, after he develops this favoritism towards Esau, there had to be a sense in there where he is saying, okay, I know what God said, but I want Esau to be blessed, not Jacob. I, I don't care what God said about who's going to serve who. I don't care what God said about who's going to be blessed over who. I love Esau. I'm not a big fan of Jacob. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. He lacked the discernment necessary to see or more than likely to acknowledge Esau's spiritual bankruptcy. We're given two glimpses into Esau's life that he took wives from the Canaanites, that he sold his birthright for a pot of stew. I'm sure those aren't the only two spiritually bankrupt events in Esau's life. Isaac either didn't see it or he chose to ignore the fact that his son was spiritually bankrupt and he tried to bless him anyway. We've touched on this already, but he allowed his senses to overrule his suspicions. Much like his son, he wanted a tasty bowl of stew. And even though he could hear the truth with his ears, he ignored the truth because of what his nose, his touch, and his stomach told him about who was standing there. He may have been rushing the end of life blessing here to thwart God's plans. As I said, he was close to 100 when they were born. He was 180 when they died. 
Jacob was in Padam Aran for 20 years. So somewhere between the age of 100 and 160, Jacob or Isaac went about blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Not very close to the end of your life. You've got another 20 years minimum ahead of you. More than likely 40 or 50 when this happened. He may have been rushing this simply to thwart the plans of God. In this story, none of the family, except for that brief moment in chapter 28 where Isaac blesses Jacob to send him out of the house, none of the family shows any type of faith or faithfulness toward God. This is God's chosen people. This is the people that God has chosen. This is the family. This is the husband and wife and child. Jacob is chosen. Esau is rejected. This is the husband, the wife, and the child that God has declared, you are the seed of the woman. How does God's plan look so far? Well, shaky, doesn't it? If we were just to read this and take it on its own, this plan looks shaky, does it not? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 101, talking about the first request of the Lord's Prayer, which is, hallowed be your name, says this. In the first request, hallowed be your name, we pray that God may enable us and others to glorify Him in all in which He makes Himself known. And here's the important part for today. And that he would overrule all things for his glory. Today's scripture is an example of that last statement that God will overrule all things for his glory. What did God promise to Rebecca? That Jacob would rule his, his older brother and that Jacob would be blessed, right? What is Jacob at the end of the story? He's blessed. And Isaac has prophesied over him, even though Isaac did it unknowingly, Isaac has prophesied over him that he will rule his brother. Isaac, in his sinfulness, in his sinful, faithless actions, did exactly what God wanted. God can overrule all things for his glory. Think of our New Testament reading today. Peter is asked, this group of people who has had the Spirit come over them and is proclaiming the gospel in languages that people who don't speak Hebrew or Aramaic can understand. Peter is asked, are y'all drunk? Are y'all crazy? You started drinking a little early today, didn't you? And Peter gets up and proclaims, no, we're not drunk. God has promised to pour out His Spirit upon all people. And let me tell you how, let me tell you how that works. You crucified Jesus. According to God's will, according to God's desire, you nailed Him to a cross. And He will save you through that. He will forgive you of your sins and declare you as righteous if you but repent and turn to Him. Our only hope in this life, our only hope before God, came through a group of men scheming, tricking, lying, and hanging Jesus on the cross. 
And Peter looked at some of those men who did that and he said, you can be saved through that. God worked his will through your sinful actions. He did it with Isaac. He did it with Rebecca. He did it with Jacob. He did it writ large with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our hope in this world, our hope for salvation, our hope for reconciliation with God came through the most dishonest, deceitful, and violent act in history against a perfect man who deserved eternal life. He got it, but he got it because he died first and was resurrected. That is our hope. That is our glory. And it came through a vicious act of deceit and trickery and violence and an attempt to thwart the real will of God. Now, God does overrule all things for his glory. God takes the sinful acts of humanity and he turns them to salvation. He turns them to redemption. But that doesn't mean we don't suffer the consequences of our act. There are real world consequences for Isaac and his family. Isaac become, or excuse me, Esau becomes consumed by his murderous desires. Jacob is homeless for 20 years. He's swindled by his uncle. He's tricked into taking a wife he didn't want. He's tricked out of his sheep and out of his physical and, and material blessings. He is deceived by his children when they convince him that his son Joseph has been killed when they've really sold him into slavery. Joseph's apples don't fall far from the tree. And he lives a life of consequences. Isaac, even though we're told of his death later on in this particular account, he becomes insignificant to the rest of the story. He has tried to thwart God and God has set him aside for Jacob. Not only does Jacob rule over his brother, he becomes more significant to the moving forward of God's plan of salvation than his father Isaac does. And Rebecca probably has the saddest lot of them all. She sends her favorite son away and will die before he returns. The one son that remains, the one son that she might have a possibility of finding comfort in and having a child near, she's lost him too because she schemed against him. And her death is given to us without any memorial. In fact, her maidservant Deborah is given more honor in the scriptures than Rebecca is. Even though God uses these sins for his glory and for his honor, there are still consequences. So we've seen the faithlessness of the chosen people, the chosen family. We have seen the faithfulness of God in overruling all sinful acts uh, for his glory. I want us to ask ourselves two questions today before we go. Number one, where are we trying to thwart God's plans in the world and in our lives? Where do we know that God wants us to do certain things, whether it's within our families, whether it's within our communities or our jobs or our, our circle of friends? And where are we saying, God, I know better in this how to handle it than you do. And I'm just going to make this work on my own. Know that God will turn those things to his glory. But there are consequences for that. But what about the areas where you've been betrayed? Where you've been the victim of other people trying to thwart the will of God in their lives? 
we, we talk sometimes about kids going through middle school. And, and kind of the, the saying is, the unspoken rule is, you, you go into middle school with a certain set of friends and you leave middle school with a different set of friends. And a lot of times that happens, sometimes because you move, sometimes because you go into a different area or to a different school, but sometimes that happens because middle schoolers can be cruel. We can be betrayed by our friends. We can be betrayed by those whom we love. We can have somebody be treat us as something less than human because they choose somebody else as their favorite instead of us. Do you know God works His glory in those instances as well? Have you ever thought of a betrayal at the hands of a friend, something that just hurt really, really deep? And you turn around and look back on it a year, two years, five years later, and you realize, wait a minute, in the midst of that betrayal, in the midst of that hurt, God exposed something in me that needed to be exposed, that needed to be sanctified, that needed to be changed and overruled for His glory. Sometimes God uses the pain that loved ones give to us to sanctify us. It doesn't excuse what they've done. It doesn't, it doesn't alleviate them from the consequences of their, life, of their actions. But it helps us to see the glory that God has in mind for His people. God overrules everything for His glory. If you are struggling with something like that right now, the shame of betrayal, the pain of betrayal, pray that God just give you a small glimpse of the glory He's trying to work in your life through that, through that betrayal, through that hurt, through that pain. It's not going to take the pain away, but it, but it may give you a small glimpse of what God has in store. God loves you. God is sovereign over all that happens in your life. And we're told in Romans, I told Sunday school class this today, you know what, for those he calls, for those he predestines, he sanctifies and glorifies. And that's what it means that God works good for all those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we, we see this mess of a family in Genesis 27 and 28. And sometimes, unfortunately, we see ourselves. Sometimes we see ourselves as the perpetrator. We see ourselves as Rebecca or Jacob or Isaac. And we, we find that we are scheming against you and against your will. We are, we are taking words that you have told us. You are, we are taking things that you have said in Scripture that you, that you have shown to us as the way things you want, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And we are trying to twist things so that it's our will on earth instead of yours. And yet, Lord, also there are times when we're Isaac at the point at which he was tricked and deceived and betrayed by his wife and his son. Oh, and we feel the pain of living in a world full of sinful people. I pray two things for us today, Lord. In the areas where we seek to thwart you, lead us to repentance. Lead us to trust. Lead us to faith. 
Lead us to set aside our own desires, our own agendas, so that we may follow you and your will. And for those areas where we've been the victim, oh Lord, meet us with your peace. Meet us with your healing. And Lord, please just give us a small glimpse of the glory that you're working and the way in which you are overruling the things in our life to bring glory to you. Lord, give us strength to get through. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.